0: When President Lincoln was in office, he liked to attend Wednesday night church. And when he would go to Wednesday Night Church, he would walk from the White House to New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. Could you imagine a president today trying to do that? Just to casually leave the White House and just to walk down the street to go to church. President Lincoln would do this. He would walk with one aide and they would walk to church and whenever Dr. Gurney, who was the the pastor of this church, knew that President Lincoln was coming, he would open up, he would leave a side door to the church open because President Lincoln didn't want to, to disturb people during church church, and President Lincoln would go into the pastor's study, would crack the door to where he could hear what was going on, and he would listen to everything, and then he would leave and go back to the White House. And there was one Wednesday night, President Lincoln left church, was walking back, and his aide said, what did you think of the service tonight? What did you think of the sermon? And President Lincoln's response was, it was, the the, the content was excellent, the delivery, he was very eloquent. You could tell he worked really hard on the message. And the aide said, so you love the sermon? And President Lincoln's response was, no. And the aide said, what do you mean? You said that the the content was excellent, the delivery was eloquent, and that you could tell he worked really hard on it. And President Lincoln responded with this. Yeah, all that is true, but he left out one important ingredient. He never asks us to do something great. He didn't ask us to do something great. And I love that story because anytime I step up in front of people, I mean, there may be Sundays, I'm not calling people to do something great, but I do want to call people to do something. Or I want to call people and remind people that we are a part of something great. That, that you're, God isn't calling all of you to do something great today or to be a major hero, but He is calling us to remind ourselves that we are a part of this story that is great. So that's why a lot of times when I step up, when I remind myself, or places like Romans 8:11, that the same power that lifted Jesus out of a grave is upon us. I try to remind myself of Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21 that this uh, this unbelievable power from God is upon the church to do great things. So today I want to talk about vision. Today we're going to unfold, we're going to lay out in front of the Sycamore View Church the future vision of our church. This is a vision that's going to guide us for the next few, the, the next couple or the next few years. And for those of you who may not be a part of the Sycamore View family, I want you to hold on with me throughout this message because I'm not just talking only to the Sycamore View Church, but I'm talking about the story of God that's so powerful. I think there'll be something where you can, you, you can take from this as well. I, uh, before I go on, I hope everyone's doing well right now. This is the 10th Sunday that we're in this format. So even if you're watching somewhere else throughout the nation or throughout the world, we're all going through the same things. And I just want to remind you, it's okay to not be okay. I don't know how your heart is. I don't know how your mind is. But I hope you're okay right now. And if you're not, don't be afraid to reach out to someone for help. I hope you're doing the small things like washing your hands, just to, to have good hygiene, to stay safe yourself. Uh, uh, someone I, I saw this maybe you've seen this online, they say, when you're washing your hands, wash your hands like you just cut up a hot jalapeno and you need to put your contacts into your eyes that you wash your hands so well that that you know it's not going to hurt. Vision changes sometimes. Within a church, within an organization, within a business, sometimes visions change. We had a vision that carried this church from the early 21st century all the way up to 2011. And we've had a vision in this church from 2012 all the way now to 2019 and now into 2020. And it was a vision that centered on God's restoration. But sometimes visions change. And this is okay. When visions change, we need to remind ourselves there are some things when it comes to the church or some things when it comes to faith that don't change. The work of Jesus doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. The great commission at the end of Matthew 28, it doesn't change. But there are some things that do change, and here's why. The obstacles for the church are always changing. And because obstacles change, Because the enemy's tactics often change, our strategies change. And this is exciting to me. This means that God is still just as creative as God has ever been. And and if it wasn't true, then I think the way the New Testament would have gone is you would have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell you about Jesus. You would have Acts that tells you about the church. And then you would have one more book that told you, hey, this is the way the church needs to act and behave. And and that's all you would need. But instead, the majority of the New Testament is written to specific churches and specific towns and cities dealing with specific issues. And this is the way it still is today there are obstacles and we're in need of strategies that that are able to combat whatever obstacles surround us. To keep us connected to God and to remind ourselves of what our mission is. Let me break it down like this. When it comes to our faith, the what is timeless. The what Jesus has accomplished, it's timeless. The why of our faith is something that needs to be revisited and remembered. Why are we in this? But why are, we, why are we doing this? Why are we a part of this? But the how and the where are always changing. How we live this out and where we live this out. These things change. They change every decade, they change every few years, they change from when you were 16 to when you're 22 to when you're 40 to when you're 70. These are things that change. So we're going to lay out a new vision in front of the church today and here's the future vision that we're living into as a church and we believe now is the time to do this. We don't want to wait until we're on the other side of COVID-19 to lay this out. We don't think that's the way vision works. It's not that let's wait until we get healthy and then let's paint a new vision for the church. It's right now while we're going through this, let's do this to remind ourselves we're a part of a bigger story. And here's the vision statement that we're moving forward with in the life of our church. Sycamore View Church exists to awaken people to the greatness of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit works to awaken us to all the ways God is restoring our world, we respond with joy, adventure, and courage. Through core values and commitments, we strive to align our behavior and actions with what it is God wants for people, Memphis, and the world. We join in the awakening. Our theme moving us forward is Awakening. That God is waking us up and God is bringing us to life in every way imaginable. That God is not just waking up individuals, God is waking up an entire community. This isn't just a matter of God opening our eyes to see what is in front of us. It's giving us vision, awakening us to a vision of God that can only be fulfilled through God's intervention. Now here's the thing, every single one of us wake up every day of our lives. Some of you, let's be honest, you wake up multiple times every day. You wake up after you sleep at night and you wake up from one, maybe multiple naps you take during the day. And we all wake up differently, right? Some people choose to push the snooze button multiple times. Some people wake up and they don't even need an alarm. You just wake up and you're ready to engage the day. I wake up differently than my wife and my two boys. Now, I don't consider myself an early riser, but when I wake up in the morning, I wake up and, and I, don't, I don't hit snooze. I get out of bed and I'm excited and usually there's enthusiasm and there's a song on my heart and it drives Casey and the boys nuts because most mornings I make up my own songs and it could fit any genre that's out there. I come up with my own lyrics. I'm trying to get Casey. I'm trying to get the boys up and moving, in and there's a song on my heart and a lot of times the way I wake up and embrace a day is like, man, today is May 17th, 2020. We've never seen this day before. We're never going to see this day again. This is a day to love. This is a day to do something great. Great. who's with me? And usually my family's like, Josh, the enthusiasm you've got to tone it down. Our dog, Gris, loves the enthusiasm I try to bring into the morning. The rest of the family, they don't like me until we get after 12 p.m. sometime into the afternoon. And you may wake up differently. You may wake up by hitting snooze. We wake up differently. And there's a science to waking up. Because a lot of times the way we wake up is based on the practices in our lives the day before. What are we putting into our bodies? What are we putting into our minds? How much time are we spending on screens? So we wake up depending on the health, the vibrancy, what's our, how our minds are, how our, how our hearts are, and in the church and in the world. God brought an awakening and God is still bringing an awakening today. I want to get to the eight core values. Uh, here later on in this message. But right now, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. It's probably not a book you've spent a lot of time in. I want you to turn to the very end of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's 48 chapters long. I want you to be fine. I want you to go and find Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, Ezekiel is a book written to people who've been in exile. Or they're in the process of going into exile. They were in exile over a hundred years. The people of God were in exile over a hundred years. There were two waves of them that were taken out of Jerusalem, out of the area around Jerusalem into exile. The first wave took the prophet Daniel. The second wave came and took Ezekiel. Ezekiel was born during the exile. He was born in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel's name is God Strengthens. Now maybe at some point, Ezekiel was given a new name, or maybe his parents, and we know nothing about them, maybe his parents Maybe they named Ezekiel God strengthens in a time that when they opened their eyes there was there was exile there was oppression they knew that things weren't right in the world yet they named their child God strengthens anyway believing that God was going to do something new at some point a reminder of hey God is going to give us strength in the midst of weakness Ezekiel goes into exile and somewhere in his early 20s Ezekiel's called by God into ministry He's called by God while in exile, surrounded by chaos and uncertainty. And this is where Ezekiel launches the next 20 years of his life. We're going to be served in ministry as a prophet. Most of the time, not making friends, but speaking God's truth to God's people. And and that's what we need a lot of times. In the midst of crisis and uncertainty, we need good leaders. We need leaders who are in tune with God. Leaders who model strong character. Leaders who model a non-anxious presence. Leaders who remind us that God has done things in the past. That it's hard to see what God is doing now, but God's doing something now. And God is leading us into a future. This isn't going to last forever. Now, Ezekiel chapter 1 through 32, I mean, it is hard to read Ezekiel 1 through 32. There are a lot of indictments going on. And a lot of the indictments, especially to the people of God, is because of a few things. One is oppression. Another is because of violence. Another is because of idol worship. In fact, Ezekiel 14.3, it says that the men, the leaders, they allowed idols to come into their heart. And then I sit back with that and I'm like, how often do I let idols come into my heart? In Ezekiel 9 through 11, you have a few chapters where God basically says, I'm done with you. I cannot take my people anymore. I'm removing my presence from them. I'm stepping back. I'm taking my hands. I can't believe what has become of these people. And it's this really sad moment where God removes himself. But then in Ezekiel chapter 33, from chapter 33 to chapter 48, there's this promise that restoration's on its way. Because with God, there is reminders That even when you are in pain, it's not going to last forever. This isn't going to last forever. Restoration is on its way when God is not going to let the enemy win anything. When God is going to take back what is rightfully God's to own. When God's going to come and do a, there's going to be a fresh move. God's going to come and give us a new heart. That God's not going to let His people suffer forever. It's not going to be eternal. Restoration is on its way. And there are two visions that go along with His restoration. One vision you're fairly familiar with, one you're not. In Ezekiel 37, there's a vision of the dry bones. And it's this vision God has given Ezekiel that, hey, I am coming. I am going to do a fresh thing. I'm going to do a new thing. And it feels like everything is dead now, but I'm going to put death back back together. And it's not just going to reflect life. I'm going to breathe into these bodies and they're going to live. This is what God does. We see that through what Jesus has accomplished. God brings dead things back to life. The other vision... is in Ezekiel 47. And I I want to walk through this one this morning. In Ezekiel 47 verse 1, here's what you have. It says, The man brought me back, and this is in a vision. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out. There's this trickle coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple face east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And he then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. Now, most of you most of you in your homes, when you've seen water trickle, when you've seen water trickle, it's like you see a little water trickle from the kitchen or trickle under the washing machine or trickle under the dishwasher, and you know something isn't right. But here there's a trickle that's coming from the temple. A trickle that is coming from what seems to be the holy place of God. And it's a trickle that's moving east. In verse 3 it says this, As the man went eastward with a cord in his hand. Now some versions interpret this as a measuring stick. After all, he's about to measure off a certain amount of cubits or a certain amount of yards. But it's also a cord. It's It's like in the vision it's saying, Okay, hey, hang on tight to this. And if anybody ever hands you a rope and says, hang on tight, your response is probably, why do I need to hold on tight? What's about to happen? They're holding onto this cord. And as they're holding on, it says, he measured off a thousand cubits. This is a few hundred yards. And then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was was a river I couldn't cross. It was a mighty rushing river because the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. What started as a small trickle turns into this this rushing water. It turns into this river that no one could cross. It started with something small. Now, when, when you think about some destruction that has happened in your life or addiction that has happened in your life, usually it starts out small and it turns into something you never wanted it to become. There was an emotion that started small, Over a few years turns you into someone you never wanted to become. I've never sat with anyone who said, you know what, Josh, in five years, I hope I'm a raging alcoholic. In five years, I hope I've cheated on my spouse. Usually it starts as something small and turns into this raging river or in many cases like a raging fire. But it works in the kingdom of God this way too, that a lot of times God starts with something very small and turns it into a rushing river that's going to bless the world. A lot of your conversions to Jesus started out with something small. It was one person who chose to invest in you. It was one movement of God or a thought of God that came into your head that sent you, it was this stirring that you couldn't let it go and it turned into something big. A lot of times ministries that have launched in our city or in the world, it starts with just a small idea, with an idea that then just turns into something big. And this is often how it works in the kingdom of God. So now in this vision, it starts with a small trickle from the temple and it turns into this rushing river. And then in verse six, you have this. He asked me, "Son of man, do you see it? Do you see it?" And I don't think this is in the vision. In the vision, I don't think this is God saying, Ezekiel, when you open your eyes, are you able with your eyes to see it? I think this is God saying, Ezekiel, are you able to catch the vision? This isn't just can your eyes see, but do you catch the greater vision of God? Do you catch the greater vision of what is coming to God's people into the world? Do you catch the vision of how the restoration? Uh, God's restoration is going to work. Michael Todd says it this way. Sight is what you see with your eyes open. Vision is what you see with your eyes closed. Sight is what you see with your eyes open. Vision is what you see with your eyes closed. And then as he sees it in verse 7, here's how it goes. And then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea of stagnant waters. That's the Dead Sea. No fish, no no life, nothing can grow there. It's full of minerals and, and salt. It's a Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. In this vision, there's this vision, in the vision, there's this image being painted of like this dirty, murky sea. It's called the Dead Sea. It's called the, the sea of stagnant waters and fresh water that started with the trickle. And now it's going all the way to the Dead Sea. Now, let's do, if we were to do a little science experiment right now, I mean, back in second or third grade, you did something like this, where there was clean water and there was dirty, murky water. And if you pour this into one glass, what does it become? Is it gonna be fresh water or is it gonna be murky water? So when you pour it into a glass, it becomes, it becomes murky water. I mean, I think all of us know the answer to that. You pour fresh water, dirty water into a cup, it becomes dirty water. But in this vision, what God says is this little trickle that starts from the temple is going to go all the way to the Dead Sea, to the stagnant sea. And there, what has been dead and stagnant, where nothing could grow, it's going to become fresh. It's going to go against science. Fresh water is going to go and it's going to make everything new. It's going to restore the world. In verse 12, that is what you have. It says this, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fall. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. The small thing in the house of God has grown fruit that will bless and nurture the entire world. The small thing from the house of God, the small thing from this group of people called the church, the small thing from this commitment when we are together goes forth and blesses the world. The small thing. And a lot of people want to jump to the mission. They want to see the fruit and not be a part of what's happening in the temple. And I'm not just talking about the place where we meet, but the people who gather. The small thing is what goes to bless and restore the world. God is giving Ezekiel this image of this awakening that is coming. An awakening that's going to bless individuals. An awakening that's going to bring this whole community to life. To put them in a story that's bigger than anything they could ever imagine. And God does the same thing with the church. People in the church, people who've been redeemed by God, we were not made to hold back. People who have been redeemed by God, the calling of the church is not to play it safe. The calling of the church is not to be all head and no heart or all heart and no head. The calling of the church is not that we're trying to indoctrinate people into a belief system, but we're trying to disciple people into a living, breathing relationship with a living, breathing God. This is what we're trying to do. So for the last nine months of the church, we've been in this process as leaders and with some others in conversations about the future vision of the church. This started back in July. And our process began with me just laying some things in front of our leaders of, hey, let's talk about holy aches and gospel burdens. What is God's heart ache for? What is God's heart... What is the... God's heart... What's the burden for? And let's begin with that. So we did. And we looked at the Bible. How does God's heart ache? What is God's heart bending toward? And then we began looking at statements from Jesus, statements of why Jesus came when Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. I have come for those who are sick, not so much those who are healthy. I have come to bring light to the world. And we looked at some of those statements from Jesus. And from that we developed what we have as eight core values in the vision statement we laid in front of you as awakening. Our five commandments are still with us. Discover, connect, serve, give, go. These are a bridge to connect us to the life of the church and to keep us connected. And we also have eight core values. And I'm going to go through these quickly. And then the next few weeks, I'm going to unpack these a little more. Here are eight core values. And these uh, these values are meant to generate passion to shape behavior, to remind us of what we are a part of. And here are the eight, and they're in no order, but here they are. We courageously anticipate the movement of God. We want this to impact our prayer culture and how we think of God, that God didn't just do great things in the past, and that God's not just going to do great things in the future, but right now we are anticipating what God is going to do among us. Secondly, that we are passionate about connecting people to God. We're passionate about those who are far from God. We need God to give us a burden for those who are disconnected, whether they've never made a commitment to Jesus or they're struggling in their faith or they're pushing away from the church. We want to connect the disconnected. For the church, their response, our response to how we go about doing life should be that there is always room for one more. Always room for one more. The third one is that we are willing, we willingly stand with the marginalized. We willingly stand with the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. These are are four groups that show up all throughout the Bible. We willingly stand, and when we do this, we have to be willing to both stand with those who have been marginalized for whatever reason, and we need to be willing to stand against whatever it is that has pushed people to the margins. We stand with people, but we also need to know what are the sources causing any form of oppression or bondage or marginalization so that we can combat that. This is where the church has to speak up against white supremacy or any forms of racism that are out there. We stand with people and we stand against whatever's holding them down. The fourth one is this, that we genuinely care about physical and mental health. When you see Jesus and the way Jesus behaved, Jesus was passionate about setting the body right and Jesus was passionate about setting the mind right. And we want to care for both of those. We uh, boldly raise up discipleship as a mission of the church. That we raise this up as the bar. This is we, for us to function the way Jesus wants the church to function, we have to help raise the bar on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We, We boldly hold this up as the mission of the church. We are honored to carry the Ministry of Reconciliation. We want to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-socio-economic church. And if we commit to do this, as we have for a number of years, this is hard work. And we've got to be willing to dive into it and there's nothing else I'd rather be a part of. We strive to give, give the next generation a compelling story to live into. That whoever, there's always going to be another generation. We want to give them a compelling story of God to live into. And last but not least, we are a restoration movement. We're not a preservation movement. We are a restoration movement. So with a vision in place, with our five commitments... With our eight core values, we want to press into the future to be a part of something bigger than we could ever imagine. This is this is God. We we need a vision that can only be fulfilled through the through the work of God, the intervention of God. So as the vision says to Isaiah or Ezekiel in Ezekiel forty seven, can you see it? Ezekiel ends like this. If you look at the very last verse of Ezekiel, because a lot of Ezekiel, there's a question of, okay, has God removed himself from us? Where did God go? Is God around? And Ezekiel ends with this, that when this restoration comes, the last verse says this. they will say that in that city, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Where the awakening is happening, the Lord is there. Where restoration is happening, the Lord is there. So some of you made anything to think today. When it comes to going into this movement of God, like the vision says, are you ankle deep? Are you knee deep? Are you waist deep? Are you willing to be all in? Because sometimes we may be knee deep and waist deep and we're like, well, we're further along to where other people are. But God is calling you to be a part of this mighty rushing river that starts as something so small but turns into something that blesses the entire world. This is what God is calling the Sycamore View Church and His church all over the world to be about. This is what Jesus did for us. So right now, I want to invite you to respond. If there's any way we can pray for you, If someone right now, you're like, man, I've been standing on the bank for too long. It's time for me to make this commitment. We're asking for you to respond. You can reach out to the church. You can respond right now in the comment section. You can find our help form that is on our website. And there are boxes you can check or we can follow up with you and and talk a lot more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was fully committed. And here we're going to transition to communion here in just a moment. We invite you to take the bread and to take the cup. And this is something you can do right now with all of us. And it may be something you hold off on if you're there with the family. You want to take more time with this. Wait until this worship service is over and then spend a few more moments at this. But at the cross is where we see. Jesus didn't just have eyesight. Jesus had vision. He saw the pain. He saw the people who were mocking him. He saw the people who were weeping. But the vision of Jesus saw that there was something bigger happening that was going to change the world. And now with this bread and with this cup, we remind ourselves, Jesus did it. He changed the world. He brought restoration. And now with this, we're reminded of our commitment to Jesus and that this commitment is calling us into this mission as well. Can you see it? And let's be a part of it. Let's pray together. God, with eyes closed, heads bowed, hearts and hands open, we ask that you bring us to life in every way imaginable. Awaken us as a community. Awaken your people all over this world to see that we are a part of a bigger story right now, this day. It is unfolding. And I pray that you give us the courage and the boldness to live into it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.